Welcome to The Rock's podcast for our midweek study through Galatians. False teachers were throwing believers into confusion by perverting the gospel. They taught that salvation depended on our own good works. So the Apostle Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, and to stand firm in their freedom. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse-by-verse study through this most liberating letter. Alrighty, it's time to get started. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father God, as we take a look and pick up at Galatians chapter 3, just some very invaluable insights to set our hearts free. Lord, all of us struggle and we feel like we're not doing well and we just feel like you don't love us and we feel like our salvation is in jeopardy, but there's nothing like the truths found in tonight's passage to set us free from all of that fear because everything depends on you. It's all about your mercy and not man's efforts. And so do your work by your spirit, Lord, and set our hearts free, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, nobody I know likes to be referred to as a fool, but if the shoe fits, and sadly that shoe was slipping on rather easily with the congregation there in Galatia, a region of modern-day Turkey where Paul and his team had planted several churches. And these Christian believers were letting themselves be duped by false teachers who came in with a different gospel, a new upgraded version of the gospel that had been once for all entrusted to God's people to proclaim and to protect and to live by. And so uh, foolishness happens even with believers, you know, as the well-known 70s R&B song put it, everybody plays the fool sometimes. There's no exception to the rule. Listen, baby. (laughs) And it seems like the Galatians were stepping up to the plate wanting to be the next to play the spiritual fool and going wild for this new and improved gospel. Uh, They wanted to be foolish, but not if Paul could help it. And so that's the reason he got fired up and filled with the Holy Spirit and picks up a pen, takes out the scroll and begins to write. And we are picking up at Chapter 3 and verse 1. Here we go. You foolish Galatians, dear friends. He has led these people to the Lord. He's the founding pastor. And these guys that come in with a different gospel. And they're so quickly abandoning God and the gospel. And he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, being good, keeping the commands? That's what that means. 
or by believing what you heard by simple faith. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you're good people, or because you believe what you have heard? And so we're going to pause there. Lord willing, we'll eventually get down uh, to verse uh, 15 or so. We won't finish the entire chapter, but we'll get uh, basically halfway through. And so here in this paragraph that you're looking at, there are six rhetorical questions to get them thinking about, uh, really, a strong word, uh, the stupidity of once you find Christ to make any changes and to think that the death that Jesus died for the sins of the world and for our sins was inadequate in any way, that he somehow needs our help. And so he says, consider uh, the folly. First of all, point, um, point number one for note takers, consider the folly, all right? So strong language right here to start out, you foolish Galatians, wow. Uh, but strong language for a strong problem. The congregation was adrift in trading the free gift of the gospel for a works-based relationship with God. As I mentioned, these Hebrew, these Jewish Christians, so-called heretics, uh, we're coming in and saying, in addition to Jesus, you guys just really need to get back to your Hebrew roots and become Jews officially, or you cannot be saved. And, and so this is why he was saying, you're playing the, the fool listening to this kind of nonsense, because it's very you know foolish. You're taking foolishness to a whole new level when you want to leave the gospel. And the Bible says to leave the gospel is treason to God. He takes it personally. Chapter one said that. Okay, so we start out with this strong language. Now, I just want to tell you that Jesus cautioned us and prohibited us from using the words raka, Raka was a word that meant it's pejorative, it's an insult. And he said, uh, you are not to call your brother Raka. Uh, it means empty-headed or uh, idiot. And um, he says the other thing, and he says, you shall not call your brother uh, thou fool in King James. Fool there is from Maros. And Maros is where we get the word moron. And so this word here has nothing to do with the pejorative insult, a disparaging of them, but a correction in love. This word here, when he says uh, that you are acting foolishly, the word means to have the ability to think but not using it. It means really a senselessness, a lack of understanding, being irrational. Uh, acting without thinking, and therefore you're without wisdom, and therefore he can say foolish in the sense of a correction. What you're doing is not right. And sometimes you have to call people out. Uh, the Proverbs say, um, what does the Proverbs say? It says, uh, correct 
Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so sometimes a word to the wise is fitting, and that's what's happening here. There's lots of reasons uh, why we do dumb things, and this is quintessential dumb. This puts the B in dumb, all right? And so lots of uh, reasons why. Number one, of course, we... Uh, our, our, we let our passions or our emotions override our brain. Uh, that's why we do foolish things, and or we're immature in our Christian life. And one writer put it this way, in fact, is Dave Guzik, a friend of mine, a pastor down in Santa Barbara. He wrote, it's wonderful to have a soft, tender heart before God, but some people have softer heads than hearts. <laughs> Their minds are too accommodating to wrong and unbiblical ideas, and they don't think things through to see if they are true or not according to the Bible. Uh, This is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Even as a baby will stick anything into its mouth, and these babies up in Galatia hear this new wind of doctrine, and they're all for it because it's hip and cool and makes them feel a cut above all the other Christians who aren't observing Jewish uh, rituals and laws and all of that. But here, Paul is going to count out, uh, count, uh, tell them uh, why it is that they are um, drifting away. He's going to say they are being deceived. He asked the question, and there are about six of them in this paragraph. He says, number one, who has bewitched you? It's a rhetorical question, as they all are, because the answers are very obvious. They all know who's responsible for spiritual deception. So he's saying, you're under some kind of spell. What happened to you? This doesn't come from God. So uh, Christians can be deceived spiritually only to the degree that they wish to be. And so when we're walking with God, when you're reading your Bible, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, nobody's going to pull the wool over your eyes. Nobody will, because God will give you discernment. It's when your heart gets hard and you almost want to cooperate with the lies. You know, there's a Fleetwood Mac song since we're in the 70s tonight. Uh, Tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. And sorry, you're all moving your lips. You all know the song, (laughs) right? And you all kind of sing it because we all do kind of sing it. And when we want what we want and it's not what God wants, we want to tell ourselves some kind of lie to justify us getting what we want. And in this case, there are some things that they want. They want a little bit of pride and all of this. And so here's the solemn answer. Who's bewitched you? I've got the slide here, the cross-reference here. Here's the answer. He told the Corinthians, these people are false prophets, false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants, slick and hip and cool and smooth speaking as they are, with a million followers on Twitter, 
There's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of being right with God. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And so, who's bewitched you? Who's always bewitched? Who's behind every single Christian who falls away and they find a whole nother way of living? There's only one who puts somebody willingly under a spell, and it's the evil one. And so we can go back to our original verses. You already did. You beat me to it. Thank you. So deception doesn't come from God. There's only one source of that, and that would be the devil. Now, what's the devil trying to do there in Galatians? What he's always tried to do from the dawn of time 2,000 years ago in Galatia and 2,000 years fast forward in Santa Rosa. What he's trying to do? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers, young Timothy, Paul speaking and writing there. Sound doctrine is really what saves what makes whole, what corrects, what brings the power of God. The gospel is some things, and it's not some things. And so if you don't have the gospel, then you don't have the gospel, which is the power of God to save. So if it's not the gospel, it's a different gospel, and this, these guys brought in a different gospel, then it cannot do what the gospel does. And that will make Satan very happy. And so he's constantly tweaking and changing and bringing new and improved things, gospels, which are no gospels at all. And therefore, at worst, it will damn somebody who's believing in a false gospel. And at best, it will shipwreck a real true Christian who will one day end up in heaven but in this life, oh, so much waste, so much wood, hay, and stubble that's going to go up on that day. Maybe no reward at all. Glad you're there, but nothing to show for it. Why? Because you got shipwrecked. They shipwrecked their faith because they believe a lie. And who has bewitched them? We know who bewitches. You don't have to come under any spell. You're supposed to anchor yourself in sound doctrine. And so it doesn't matter the sound, fine sounding uh, arguments, well-crafted, persuasive speech, and all of that. So in their case, Jesus is good, they said, but keeping a kosher table, keeping the Sabbath, celebrating the holy days, becoming Jewish, males had to be circumcised, Acts chapter 15, or you would not be saved. That's their gospel. And in fact, today there's something called, which I've brought up before, the Hebrew Roots Movement, very popular. And it's the exact same theology. Christians going back to your Hebrew roots and all these things. You've got to keep the seven holidays, holy days. Uh, you've got to be uh, kosher and all of this stuff. And, and here's what it does. It appeals to people's pride. It appeals to people's uh, wanting to say, well, I'm doing something to earn my way. 
you see, and so you just have to be careful. So in their case, the Hebrew heretics were coming in to add to the gospel. In our case today, it's really to subtract from the gospel. Uh, <laughs> the new improved gospel, which is not the gospel, is, is that, oh, you don't need to repent. God is a God of love. God, the, every, everybody's welcome, which is a half-truth. And a half-truth is a full-on lie. Everybody is welcome, but God loves us enough to want to change us. And in order to meet him, repentance is required. And so the new gospels take out the repentance. God just love, loves you the way you are. You can stay the way you are, even if it's in a lifestyle that God rejects. So the new gospel says, oh, it's okay. So, so who has bewitched these people who have left Orthodox Christianity for false teaching that in the end damages and destroys and shipwrecks people. And so that's what their foolishness is. They got saved by faith alone, by Christ alone, and by grace alone. That's justification by faith. But now they've yielded to the Judaizers. That means to make Jewish and now they're trusting in these Hebrew traditions to be part of how they're saved. So Paul says that uh, in verse 2, uh, certainly uh, it wasn't for a lack of information or teaching or preaching that you left the gospel. He's saying because in verse 2, the gospel was vividly and graphically preached in, 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 in front of your very eyes. In other words, it was so clear. The Holy Spirit came in and took Paul's words and he, and he inspired the picture of Christ incarnate as God dying for all of their sins. And so he preached Christ crucified and they got it. That is God dying for our sins, and all we have to do is trust him. He says, you saw that so clearly, uh, and you can imagine Paul, how clearly he brought that and portrayed Christ crucified. My word, you know, his Christ claimed to be God, his miracles, his sinless life, and then, uh, you know, Pilate, exonerating him three times. I find no guilt. Of course, he's the sin offering. He's God the Son. And the beating, the flogging, the spitting, and the mocking, the crown of thorns and the blood, and he's so swollen that you can't recognize him as human, Isaiah said. And he carries his own cross. And at 9 a.m., the spikes go through his hands and through his feet, and he prays. Uh, prayer forgiveness for his executors. And uh, he uh, he's offered wine mixed with some herbs to numb the pain. He says, no thanks, because I will drink this cup all the way down. And, you know, the two thieves crucified next to him. And Jesus promised to the one who has a change of heart today, this day, you and me, in paradise. He's portraying this picture and then the cry of Jesus being forsaken by God the Father. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? At 12 noon, the sun goes out. And, and you know what? These folks lived in modern day Turkey and they may have seen that happen because it's only 20 years since the sun stopped shining. 
And if you think the sun just stopped shining over uh, Jerusalem, you're highly mistaken. That is the sun that Jesus Christ called into existence and created. And when he, the creator of the sun, is languishing in death, that sun lost its ability to shine and darkness covered the earth. And so for them to clearly see and put it all together and have him hang his head and say, it is finished. And Paul explained to him, that is the son of God. He is saying it is finished. And it's a word that means paid for. So he says, you got it. You made all the connections. You made all the dots. And he says, I just have a question for you. When you were at the meeting and in the town square where I brought the gospel to you and the Holy Spirit portrayed Christ crucified to your sin-sick soul and those shackles came off and you started singing, oh, happy day, and your scales of your eyes fell open, your heart was aflamed and warmed by the love of God, the shackles of guilt and shame and fear were broken, you were raised to new life, You were born again. I just have a question for you. Did that happen because you were keeping a kosher kitchen or because you were sitting in the crowd and your heart was opened up and you said yes to God and you put your faith in him? He says, I just got a question for you. Were you clearing out the pork products from your pantry when this happened? Or were you... um, you know, were you calling for the, the moil? Moil is a M-O-H-E-L, is a trained Jew to do circumcision. They're called moils, all right? And the ceremony to circumcise is called a bris, B-R-I-S. Were any of you doing that? No, because they said that's the only way you're going to get saved, is through circumcision but they weren't. They were sitting there as former idolatrous pagans and they heard the word and they believed it and God sent a spirit and they were filled with the spirit and many of them were speaking in tongues and they were prophesying and they were set free. They were changed. They were washed and sanctified and no longer wanted to go back into sinful lifestyles and it had nothing to do with anything they were doing Moral or not, was all because of what Christ has done. And he portrayed that in front of them as their sin offering. And all they had to do was believe for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. He saved us not because of anything we have done, but because of his own mercy. Salvation is a free gift, but we always get really mixed up with that. And so he says in verse three, you really, are you really so foolish, gullible, clueless, spiritually dense? If the work begins free, it must continue to be free. If it started as God's effort, it must be continued as God's effort. He goes on to say in verse 3, does God start a work in your life 
without finishing it. Would God start a work in your life and now it's up to you to finish it? That's verse three. You know, let me give you a hand, God, you know. I mean, you predestined me, you chose me, you called me, you died for me. Your kindness led me to repentance because if you didn't come after me, I would have gone straight off the cliff and perished into the abyss. So on top of predestining me, choosing me, calling me, dying for me, uh, leading me to repentance, forgiving me, raising me to new life, and now suddenly it's all up to me and making sure I eat the right things and keep the right days of the week. That's just a blasphemous thought that isn't um, true at all. <laughs> it wasn't up to you. It, what, it isn't up to you today, and it will not be up to you tomorrow. And that's the joy of salvation. It does not depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And so verse 5, he asks another question rhetorically. He's back to square one. He says, listen, Galatians, answer me this. Does God save you because you're good or because you believe? And I want to ask Christians today. I want to ask you today. Which is it? Are you saved because you believed him? Yeah. Or because you're being good these days. You're having your quiet time and you're abstaining from sin and, and you know, you're doing good deeds and you're making sure your tithe records are up to date and all of that, right? You better not think it has anything to do with that because it has zero to do with it. Zero. Oh, we who are performance-based servants of the Lord, we need this teaching to free us up. So he goes on. Let's go on together, shall we? Six through nine. I'm looking for a pointer. Look at that, I found one. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now he's pulling out the scriptures because it's one thing to rile somebody up, get you thinking, rhetorical questions. Come on. Now let's go to the word of God. That's always, and look, he goes to the Old Testament, which part of the new gospel today is we've unhitched ourselves to quote a famous preacher. We've unhitched ourselves from the Old Testament. Well, if we've unhitched ourselves from the Old Testament, we are going to go careening down a cliff into some kind of bottomless ocean because we are hooked to the Old Testament. The whole New Testament is a running commentary on the old. And when there's an issue coming up, they go to the old to uh, substantiate the truth of the gospel. So here we've got two scriptures. He's going to take, he, in the next paragraph, he's going to go to three. Here's some scriptures for you. Consider Abraham, the quintessential Jew, the father, the progenitor of the Jewish race. He didn't even get justified by being a Jew. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what the Old Testament says. That's what the law says. Verse seven, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. 
the scripture foresaw that God would justify the nations, the Gentiles, you guys in Galatia, 2,000 years later, God foresaw in Genesis 15, 6, when he said that Abraham gets right by faith, the scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you, Genesis 12, 3. So those who have been who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's talk about this. So note takers, the first point was consider your foolishness and repent, right? And this one is consider your father and imitate him. He's a faith alone guy. The, the father of the Jews, <laughs> 500 years before the law of Moses came. So he couldn't be keeping the law because Moses is still 500 years away. And at the time when Jesus, when, when I said, yes, it's Jesus, but the spirit of the Lord writes Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Genesis 15, Abraham is not circumcised yet. So he's not circumcised. He's not keeping any Jewish laws because there are no Jewish laws, but yet he believes God's promise to him. And, the, and here Paul says, that's the gospel. He's introducing the gospel to Abraham. Believe this promise and be saved. Not by your works, not by your Jewishness, not by Moses' law, because they're not there. This is an airtight case. You can't get around this one because they're appealing to, we got to go back to our Jewish roots. Well, let's go back all the way to number one, Abraham. All right, and let's just take a look at his life. How did he get saved? By faith. So how in the world do you say that you have to be circumcised to be saved when he got saved before there was circumcision? Okay, I've got to calm down. <laughs> But do you get it? Do you get why you should be like, I, I just, I, I believe this stuff. That's my problem. All right, so since you're hung up on being Jewish, let's go back to Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. He's saying, I am one of them, and so are you. And you don't have to become a Jew to be one. That's the last part of the song that you didn't know. <laughs> you don't have to become, you have to do what Abraham did. You have to believe like Abraham, like father, like son. So if you believe and you're saved the way Abraham is, you are, for all intents and purposes, a child of his in the likeness of his. And that's what he says. And... Jesus, in a heated debate with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in John chapter 8, they say, listen, he's talking about God the Father. And they say, Abraham's our father. And he goes, oh, no, he isn't. Jesus says, oh, no, he isn't. Because Abraham listened to the truth of God. Abraham uh, listened and believed God but you are trying to kill me. Abraham didn't do those kinds of things. So therefore, 
because you don't act like Abraham, even though you are blood DNA to him and you could do an ancestry.com thing and you could find out that you are indeed biologically related to him, you are not spiritually related to him. And that's what matters because it's spiritual relationship that will be eternal. And so he's saying, listen, you guys, I got a lot easier way than 613 laws. Let's just go back to the progenitor of the Jewish people and find out that he believed God. God told him, I'm giving you land. I'm giving you people. Your descendants will be more than the stars in the heavens, even though your wife can't have children, nor can you because I'm going to do a work through you. And Abraham believed God, and the word there credited is an accounting term that God counted Abraham's trust as enough to put him right with God. Justified, meaning a legal term of being acquitted of all wrongdoing. And Abraham had a lot of wrongdoing to be acquitted for. He was an idol worshiper formerly until God came into his life and made him the father of the Jewish people. And so uh, he's quoting there in verse 8, Genesis 12, 3, and this is the best. He says, uh, the Lord was announcing the gospel to Abraham when he said, verse 8, all nations will be blessed through you. What does the word nations mean? Gentiles. That's the word Gentile. The word Gentile in the Greek means nations. And so what he's doing in verse uh, 8 is reminding that the gospel in Genesis 12 and verse 3 is promising that through Abraham, of course, through Christ, comes through Abraham, that the nations, the Gentiles, will be saved in the same way that Father Abraham was saved. Genesis 15, 6, through faith. Do you see? It's an airtight case. I mean, people were were just coming back to their senses. I would say after reading that, the lights are coming on. That's exactly what he's saying. So let's move on. All who rely on observing, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. So now we're going to come up with some theological reasons, three of them, why you really want to get out of under the law and back into the arms of grace and a savior who does it all for you. All right, so here are some three really good reasons. One, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. That that would be one motivation not to want to be a Hebrew under the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, Deuteronomy 27, 6. Clearly, number two, no one is justified before God by the law because the Bible says the righteous, those right with God, are, are living by faith, Habakkuk 2, 4. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them, Leviticus 18.5. So now we're, we've quoted three Old Testament scriptures to validate and confirm New Testament gospel. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us. Here's some good news now. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith and faith alone and grace alone, by Christ alone, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is where we're going to park tonight. So a few more closing comments here. 10 through 14. That's right. So we've considered the foolishness of modifying the gospel. Point one. Point two was consider the simplicity of Abraham's faith. We're going to imitate that. And then now three, consider the curse. Uh, You who want to be back to Hebrew roots, you know, you're now under a curse. And so no doubt Uh, Some of the Galatians love their newfound salvation. You know, lighting candles on Friday night. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, Shabbat's coming and we're lighting. Now, I want to pause and say this. If people want to keep Jewish traditions as a love thing, as a thing that reflects on pointing toward Christ who saves them entirely by faith, that's fine. But that's not what a lot of people are doing. They're going back because they feel it's mandated for their relationship with God. And that therein is the problem. So no doubt they were having fun. Lighting candles, keeping the Sabbath, eating Hebrew foods, learning Hebrew. Oh, yeah, you know, so they'd sit down and they'd uh, bow their heads. And one of them, the, one of the Christians would, would say the Shema. All right, it's, it's the prayer every Jew prays in the morning. And so, uh, oh, all their pagan Christian, Christian friends were also, whoa, look at that. Oh, yes, it's Hebrew. Yes, it's the Shema. All we Jews, we Jews, you're not a Jew. <laughs> we Jews pray it in the morning to be a cut above you guys, you know, and that's what they were doing. Now, he says, here's some motivation. By the way, you who are coming under the law, you just can't come as a smorgasbord and pick and choose because you're under a curse. You know why? Because the law says, unless you keep the whole thing, you are under a curse. And so they were picking and choosing. Oh, we don't eat this. We don't eat that. Well, yes, we're circumcised. And now we do this and we don't go there. Okay, now you've got 612 other ones waiting for you. So there's a problem here because the Bible itself says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So that's the first problem. You know, uh, James put it this way, elaborating on Deuteronomy of chapter 27 and verse 26. My dear Hebrew wannabes, According to the Bible, (laughs) James is going to make a comment. He says, listen, if you keep 612 and stumble at 613, you are a lawbreaker. And that's all that matters. And for all intents and purposes, you're guilty of breaking them all. All right. So here's what James says. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of them. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery has also said you must not murder. So if you murder somebody but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. 
And so the Old Testament law is not like a buffet or you can cut and paste. He's telling these Hebrew wannabes, you're, you're under a curse because the law wasn't designed by God for you to keep it. It's supposed to frustrate you. You're supposed to come up short because it's supposed to lead you to a savior, Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of the law to show you that you are under God's judgment because you're a sinner and a lawbreaker. So you want to come under? Get busy, but you'll never keep them all. And therefore, according to the law that you now are so in love with, it's telling you you are cursed. You are going to be judged by God because you're a lawbreaker. Wow. And so that should be, that's strike one, right? And so then he says, so yeah, clearly, verse 11, follow me. No one will be justified, acquitted, or cleared of all charges by being good because the law itself tells you if you're hoping to please God by keeping me, the law, you're wrong. Because those who are justified live by faith. And so he, uh, do you see that verse 11 there? Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. So here's what he does. He pulls the law out, and the law tells those lawkeepers, by the way, you'll never make it to heaven trying to keep the law. Those who are right with God do so by faith, so, he, so he's using the law to show them. Even the law tells you what happened to Abraham, so that you have to believe, because the righteous will live by faith. And by the way, that's one of the most quoted Old Testament verses in the New Testament. Habakkuk, there, in chapter two and verse four. Okay, so strike one was law keepers, you're under a curse because you inevitably will fall short. Number two, strike two, the law itself prescribes faith as the means for righteousness. It's, it excludes itself as being a way to make you right with God. And then strike three in verse 12, Paul know, knows what they're thinking. They're thinking, well, maybe a little mix. It's okay. A little law, a little grace, a little Jesus, a little of my efforts, you know? And so here's what he says there. Leviticus chapter 18, verse five. He says, and this is what it means. He's saying, no, verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, if you're under the law, you must do it. Not try to do it, not want to do it, but execute it day in and day out there. Verse 12, the law's not based on faith. So he's saying, law's law, faith is faith, and never the twain shall meet. They do not meet. You can't have both. One is totally one thing that itself tells you cannot save you by keeping it. And faith is a, a hundred and eighty degrees different from there. I almost said three sixty in that one. Work. So, if you've got a tiny bit of law, you're obligated to all of it. That's what he's saying there. Uh, people love to say, you know, God, well, God does His part and we do ours. I'll tell you your part in this. You bring. Nothing but wretchedness 
You bring your sin, your brokenness, your neurotic ways, your emptiness, your death, your darkness. This is what we bring to the table. And this is what qualifies us. It qualifies us to be saved by being a fully confessed sinner who says, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless and I depend 100% on you, God. None of this, well, you know... (laughs) You'll do the heavy lifting and I'll throw in, you know, 10 bucks here and there, you know, (laughs) my word. And it's like God writing you a hundred million dollar check and you say, well, I coughed up 20 bucks. (laughs) I don't think so. Okay, so Paul's just painted a really ugly picture. That was strike three of those relying on their own effort here. He says it's a curse. You will be rejected. You're helpless. You're hopeless. You're doomed. You're condemned by the very law which you now have come to love so much. He says now verses 13 and 14 and we'll close. He says there's a way out. It's called redemption. The word there in 13 when it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law By becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to you Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of new life, the spirit of being born again and saved. So the word there in verse 13, redeemed, is a wonderful word. It means to buy back somebody who is bankrupt and stuck and had n- no money and they were in debtor's prison and somebody had to pay a price to redeem them. So he goes on to say, you know, this is what Christ has done. He redeems us from the curse because he just told them, look, you're under... Everybody is under a curse because nobody can keep the law. So that curse is hanging over every human head. But Christ, and here's the gospel, God becomes one of us, a perfect sacrifice, and he becomes the curse. Because it says anybody who's found hanging on a tree, the Old Testament said, is a sign and a symbol of God's rejection and God's curse. So he's saying, look at the cross. That is the son of God. He's, as it were, it doesn't matter that Romans executed by the cross. He's hanging on a tree. So in the Old Testament, they take a murderer, they'd stone him and then hang him on a tree and say, look at him. He's rejected and cursed by God. So Jesus on a tree, which the Bible nicknames the cross, the tree, to point out that Jesus in his body and through his death and his suffering was an atonement for the curse that hung over the head of everybody because we fall short of the glory of God in keeping his just and right and moral commands that Jesus himself. So here's what he's saying. Jesus, the son of God, was sinless. He's God in a human body. And he went to be baptized. And when he was going to be baptized, John the Baptist said, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to work. I need to be baptized by you. I cannot baptize you. And Jesus says, let it be done now to fulfill righteousness. 
okay, what's going on here? He's saying, I've got to identify with the cursed ones as though I am a cursed one and I'm going to be baptized like a human being who's a sinner because I'm going to become, in God's eyes, a sinner through my substitutionary role as their stand-in. And so he goes around and he defiles himself after identifying with the cursed ones who need baptism, though he didn't need one for himself. And he goes around and what does he do? He touches dead bodies, defiled. He's now defiled. The son of God is defiled by his own law. A leper comes up and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he says, I'm willing and touches him. Oh, oh, oh. No, now you're the leper. Now you have the defilement of death and sin, right? And so he becomes the curse in his body, though he didn't sin himself. He carries it as the son of God, God the son, to the cross and willingly lays down in a redemptive act to die for the sins of the world and become your curse. And my curse, the sinless one who knew no sin, who became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Let it be done today, John, for the righteousness, for righteousness sake, I need to become a curse. And when he called out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cursed. Not because of anything he had done, but because he was wearing our infirmities and our sins and all of our evil on him. And then he says, turns around and says, whoa, whoa, now all I want you to do, here's what you can do for everything, for nothing. Trust me. In John chapter 6, they come running to him. Oh, what must we do to do the work God requires? And he says, here's the work that God requires. Quoting the Son of God, trust in the one he sent. Done. And then when you keep God's commands by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're doing it in love, in a response. It has nothing to do with your salvation. You're in Christ. He's done it all for you. Now, this passage, these 15 verses for me, I take away three words. And the first word I take away is rest. I can rest. I am fully aware of my shortcomings. Way more than even my wife knows. Right here. But I can rest. Because it wasn't up to me. It's not up to me today. And it will never be up to me. Because I'm in Christ and my life is hidden in him. And when Christ appears, I will appear with him in glory. But I've been caught up into Christ. Christ is in me. I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. And he's taken care of all of it. You can rest but I no buts because he covered it his blood washes away it all 
And he fulfilled everything. He says it's finished. It is finished. It is finished. Stop beating yourself up. There's no condemnation in Christ. You're in Christ. The second word I get is joy. This makes me happy. Makes me happy to know that I'm free and that nothing will ever be used against me. Nothing. I've got a ton of things that could be used against me, but he says, I'm putting all your sins behind my back and washing you clean. And when I see you, I say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased because why Christ is in me. He can say that to me now because where did my sins go? My sins are gone. Your sins are gone. The only one who remembers your sins is you and the devil. God says, I forgot them. And what God wills to forget, you could kind of let go too. The last word is gratitude. Gratitude. When I, when, I, when I did this study, I just started getting grateful. I started wanting to do hard things that are hard to do for Christians. But I do them because I got grateful. I'm like, man... Jesus, why did you put your eye on me? Why did you go in a bar? I was in a bar when I got saved. Why would you look for somebody in a bar who didn't want to be found? I was hiding out in there. He just slipped in, didn't pay a cover charge or anything. <laughs> just came after me, oh, grabbed a hold of me, opened my eyes. I'm like, whoa, there's a God, there's a heaven, there's a hell. I got the whole download. I walked out and I was a born again Christian. I've got some gratitude, and so therefore I know this, this life doesn't depend on me being really, really good. I want to be good, but it's irrelevant to my standing with him and his love for me and you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you. It almost sounds too good to be true. And we all want to just live in this moment like, okay, I got to remember this. <laughs> because we get into working our way so easily. God, help us just to rest and to have that joy and gratitude and walk with you in love because of what you've done for us, not what we do for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.